Turn, if you would, to John chapter 5. Good morning again to you. Good morning to Wilmington. It's good to have you uh, with us in spirit. Following along with us in this series on who is Jesus. While we're turning to John 5, I want you to uh, think about... If you could name yourself or think of yourself, I don't mean just your, your proper name, how, how would you think of yourself? I'll give you an example. At our house, we have layers upon layers of nicknames for each other, for one another that we use at various times and in various forms, whether to inflict harm or on occasion to bless one another. But we do that sparingly. But I have a whole echelon of names, you know, for uh, my wife and children, and uh, I think I mostly live under the moniker of dad, at least in their hearing. But the names that they might have for me and the names that I might have for them may be different than the name that I have for me or the way that I think about myself. Like what people might call you or how they might think about you might not be how you would think about you if, if you were able to explain it. Do you have a different way of thinking about yourself? In the ministry of Christ, Who Jesus was was a big question. Here was this teacher. Well, at first they called him a teacher, right? Here's the names he had teacher, rabbi. Is he a prophet? Is he Elijah? Some wondered if he was even the Messiah was the word they used. That's their word to mean the expected anointed one of God. It means anointed one. The Greek for it is Christ, the Christ, the Savior. That's the idea, the anointed Savior. Is he the anointed Savior? They had been, the, the, the scriptures that they had, what we call the Old Testament, had anticipated an anointed Savior who would come and save the people from their trouble. Is he that guy? The Jews, this is how John refers to them in his Bible, the teachers, the Pharisees, the scribes, they had a sense about them of, we know who God is, but who are you? That was the setting into which Christ ministered, is we, we have God nailed down. But who are you? And despite all the labels that they had for him, one of the he chooses, he sort of gives himself a name and uses it in front of them. It's, it's almost as though they're saying, are you this, are you that, are you that? And he says, no, I am the son of God. And this idea was unexpected. It's a difficult construct. It was 
it was tremendously difficult for them. It was, in the Jewish hearing, an equivalent, you'll see it this morning, an equivalent thought as saying you're equal to God. The Father, God, is above and outside. He's in heaven. And the Son, God, right? God the Son is on earth, and he's from above. He's not from earth. He's from on high, but he is here. And this morning, we don't need to be able to get our mind around all of it. We may not. Every time I try to wrap my mind around this idea, like I can't get all the way around before I have to let go of something. But that doesn't mean that this revelation that God has given us doesn't have something to say to us. We're dependent upon God to reveal himself to us, and he's chosen to reveal himself this way. So our job is to say, what is he trying, how how is he trying to describe himself in this picture? And that's what we're going to do this morning, is kind of live inside of this revelation. In John 5, we're going to... spend most of our time in, in 18, verse 18 and following. I just want to point out in the earlier section, the occasion for the section we're going to focus on, Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath. That's what happened. He healed somebody on the Sabbath. And to the group of teachers and scribes who were confident that they knew God, we know God and we know the law, and you just broke it. That's sort of what's in their belly as they're coming to Jesus. How is it? Who are you? We know God, and we know his will, so who are you to heal on the Sabbath? And Jesus, in verse 17, implies his name. But Jesus answered them saying, my father is working until now. And I am working. My father's working. Correspondingly, I am working. Now, we don't have to think too hard about this. In fact, I would imagine to most of the ears in the room, this doesn't feel like Jesus just, you know, dropped the mic. He's he's out. Like, you're probably not feeling that right now. You're like, his father's working, he's working. What's the big deal? But listen to, listen to 18. 18 tells you that the ears of the time, the Hebrew ears listening in the time, were shocked at what he just said. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. You didn't think they were going to kill him for that, did you? Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus was calling God, not the father. The Hebrew people had a sense that God was the met- their spiritual metaphorical father in the sense that he was this great father. But Jesus said, my father. He, he owns there's this possessiveness in the language of Christ that's unlike unlike anything the Jews would have appreciated or ever thought to use. They would have never, ever thought to speak of God as my father. 
And they weren't sons of God. But they weren't the son of God. And they would have never thought to do that. Now, when we see God the Father, God the Son, or Father, Son, this image here, Father, Son, I think in our ears and with our eyes, my hunch is we see difference, not the same. I think probably what comes off the page to us is is the feeling of difference. That's the Father and that's the Son. And they're different. And I don't know exactly why that is. I, I wonder sometimes if uh, our Western way of thinking, our sense of individualism, which has a, lot, a strong sense of discontinuity between generations, we, th- we see ourselves as very distinct from the previous generation. We, our goal is to get out from under and to be, start our own story. Okay, that is, not, that is not the context into which Scripture was written. You did not start your own story. You inherited the line. So that's one difference. I also wonder if the Western way of thinking, which values the parts of something over the whole, versus an Eastern way of thinking, which sort of starts in the whole and then expresses the parts. I wonder if that's at work here. I don't know why. When I see Father, Son, and when I think you see Father, Son, we don't jump out of our seat and say, oh, that's expressing unity and same. We say, we, we sort of think, ah, that's different. Why we think the way we think is not really material right now. What is material is is how they thought about it. Because Jesus spoke into their world. Their context is what should interpret this passage. And Jesus, when Jesus says, my father, they hear equivalence. It's explicitly said here. They hear absolute equivalence between the father and the son. In other words, in their ears, this is a profound statement of divine equivalent equality. And Jesus is going to respond to their implications. Now, we should assume, by the way, if Jesus is not, if Jesus is from God, let's just adopt the attitude of Jesus is a good teacher for a second, or a holy man, or even a prophet. If we're going to adopt that attitude that Jesus is a good prophet who's from the Lord, he's speaking on behalf of God, he loves the Lord and worships him, then when someone says around him, oh my goodness, you're equating yourself with God, you would expect him to do what? Say, whoa, no, 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 no. I misspoke there. Like, let, let me be careful about this. Okay? I'm just saying, if Jesus was of God, from God, sent by God to give a message of God, but was not God, even though he worshiped God, and people were starting to presume that he thought he was God, what do you think he would say? You think he'd say, wait a second. You've got me totally mistaken. Examples. When the apostles, on occasion the apostles, People or angels in Scripture, people will bow to angels in Scripture or bow to the apostles in Scripture. And you know what they do every single time? They say, why are you doing? Get up. I'm not God. They try to worship Paul and Barnabas when they go into a village. Paul and Barnabas say, whoa, no, we're bringing the message of God. We're just messengers. We're not God. When people bow to Jesus, he lets it happen. Because it ought to happen. 
So here's what he says. This is a great opportunity. And by the way, this is a wonderful theological, theological passage. It just it says a lot about Jesus. If he's not Jesus, this is a great time for him to swear it off. Now, I'm going to read 19 through 23. It's one of these loop-de-loop passages where by the time you hear the end, you forgot the beginning. But we'll, we'll kind of, uh, we'll go back again. We'll, we'll mow the yard twice, I guess. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has, has, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. All right, let's start with 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, some of your Bibles might say, Amen, Amen or verily, verily, depending on how old your book is. What it really means is, this is really important stuff. Okay, this is what Jesus says when he's going to say something that you better be on to. Okay? Truly, truly, I say to you, and he goes on to say, the son doesn't do anything that he doesn't see the father do. He says, listen, I don't do anything that the Father, I don't already see the Father doing. Only what I see the Father doing is what I do. Now, in this, in this, the mood in this sentence, this clause, it's not a sentence, the mood in this clause is one of subordination. It's one of service. You hear obedience in it. I only do what I see the Father do. This would uh, call to mind that, that whatever Jesus is, he's not just some other, even if he's God, he's not an entirely independent other God who's got his own game plan going on. You know, God the Father is not sitting in a cloud waiting to smite us when we sin, but God the Son says, well, I have a bright idea. I'm going to go save him. And the God the Father is, it's not like, well, I don't know how that's going to work. Let's see. He's saying, no, I only do what I see the Father doing. It's an expression of perfect unity in behavior. I only do what he's doing. So that when the Jews are saying, look, you're breaking God's rule on the Sabbath, have careful ears here. He's saying, listen, I only do what the Father's doing. In fact, in 17, he said, my Father is working even until now, and I'm working I only do what I see the Father do. Now, that whole verse might have kind of a mood of subordination, except for the fact that we only read, I only just described half the verse. The second half of the verse is quite different. Right? The Son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. And then he says, for whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Now, that's an entirely different mood. I only do what I see the Father doing, but by the way, I do everything he does. 
There's nothing that he, doesn't do, that he does that I don't do. Right, if the beginning of the passage speaks kind of a, uni, a unified subordination or at the very least a unified obedience of the son to the father, the second one speaks of a dignified equivalence. Whatever he does, I do. There's nothing he does that I don't do. He's not a junior God. He's not, he wasn't just kicked out of the nest. And earth is not sort of his collegiate experience. Whatever the father does, he does. Verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. The Father loves the Son. So this is another interesting concept. You have this unity, right? We we hear difference, Father, Son. They heard unity. And what does Jesus say? He says, you think unified? I'll double down on unified. I only do what I see the Father doing. And by the way, I do everything that he does. And, verse 20, for the basis by which the Father discloses himself to me is love. It's not some technical, theological, brainwave, spirit connection of unified nature. It's relationship. God loves me. And because the Father loves me, he reveals himself fully to me so that I can do everything. Because he's shown me everything. So I only do what I see the Father doing. The Father shows me everything he's doing. And the Father's shown me all of himself. Because he loves me. And in, I should say, just to remind you, in their language, there's, and there's a times. Now right here, Jesus is not speaking, he's not saying the word dad. But there are times in his ministry that he actually has the gall to refer to the Holy God Father as Dad. And by the way, he gives you and I the right to come to the Lord in the same way, which I am learning for the first time again as I study the Word. What does that even mean? But he's essentially saying this. Look, I'm not so different from my dad. In fact, I only do what my dad does. And everything that my dad does, I do. And my dad loves me, and he approves of me, and so he's shown himself entirely to me. That's what he's saying. To people who hear Oh, it sounds like he's making himself equivalent to the Lord. It sounds like he's making himself equal to the Lord. He's saying, yep. And by the way, you got a problem with me healing a man on the Sabbath. The Lord's going to do bigger things than this through me. <laughs> this is what the end of verse 20 says. Greater things than this. Get ready. 
God's going to knock your socks off with what he's going to do through me. Verse 21, for as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. Now, it would have been an uncontested theological assumption among all of the Hebrews that God alone raises the dead and gives life. God alone is the giver of life. Last Sunday we talked about this. God alone is creator. He's the giver of life. He's the giver of every good thing. So Jesus starts down their path. As you know, God alone is the, well, as you know, God gives life and raises the dead. And then he says, so do I. I do it too. He actually says it in a way that I feel like sometimes I like role play the Pharisee. This is what preachers do. He actually says it in a way that I think gets them. He says, I also give life and raise the dead and I do it to whoever I want. That's what he said. I do it to who I will. In other words, Jesus is saying like, I don't have to email the father or get on the, on the beeper and call up there and some divine prayer. Am I allowed? I kind of want to heal this guy right now. Can you send me two units of healing power? That, that's not what's happening with Jesus. Life and resurrection are intrinsic with his nature. That's what he's saying. Intrinsic to who I am is the power of life and resurrection. And when I see it, I give it as I will. Because I am like my father. I'm not slavishly tethered to my father. I'm not like a dog on a chain to my father. I am endowed like my father with the power to give life and raise the dead. Which he does, by the way. Even at the, heal, the raising of Lazarus, where some of your minds might be going, he does pray to the Lord there. But you notice in his prayer to the Lord, he says, I'm not doing this because I have to do this. I'm doing this so they can hear and give you glory. But it's under his own divine steam that he says, Lazarus, come out. That's what he's saying here. And he doubles down in 22 and 23. The Father, or for the Father, judges no one. <clears throat> so this is, you just, if, if you're ever going to role play a Pharisee, this is where you would, you would swoon. Okay? The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. That all who honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Jesus says, and by the way, God has given me the keys of judgment. He's made me judge. Now we'll talk about this more in a few weeks. But it sounds like here that the father has divested his role as judge and endowed it solely and entirely on the son. Can you imagine that? If, if you grew up knowing God alone is creator, God alone is life giver, God alone raises the dead, God alone is judge. And here comes this rabbi who we think had a misspeak when he talked about his father. And we said, you, you made yourself sound equal to the Lord. And he said, well, I, the reason I did that is because my dad 
shows me, and I do everything he does, and he shows me all of himself because he loves me. And in fact, my father who has the power of life and resurrection in him, I have that too, and I give it to whoever I will. And my father has endowed upon me the sole role of arbiter, of judge of the entire cosmos. Why? So that you must honor me. That's why. Why did the father give it? The father gave it so that the son receives honor. So that people don't try to like treat Jesus like a messenger or simply a prophet or someone who helps us get to the real God. The Lord is intent on that not happening. So how does that not happen? He says all of mankind has to answer to him. How you sit before Christ is the only important question of your life. When you're called to judgment, who you say Jesus is, is the paramount question of your life. It may not feel that important right now. You may be thinking about lunch. It doesn't mean lunch is more important, by the way. You may be thinking of work. It doesn't mean work's more important. You may be thinking of a dead burden or of a sick child or of an illness that has nothing to do with whether it's more important or not. It may be more pressing to you in the moment. It may be more distracting to you, but it is not more important than who you say Jesus is. And God has given the sole role of judge to his son so that he would be honored as absolutely equivalent and equal to the father. We, we can't get around him. Everybody has an idea of God. Everybody has a notion of God. I understand that even if you're an agnostic, you sort of have a concocted notion of if there is a God, this is what he's like. And he, Jesus is here saying, just so you know, I will verify and validate your definition of God at the end of time. And the Father has made that sure by giving me the sole role of judge. So that I will be honored. Turn in John 14. <clears throat> we'll close shortly, but I want you to see this. Even, even his disciples, and John 14 is getting close to the end of his life. Even his disciples miss this. They miss it. Now, this is a very familiar passage for many of you. This is where Jesus says, verse 2, In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it weren't so, I would tell you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And once I have, I'm going to come and bring you to be with me. Okay? And then he says in verse 4, And you know the way to where I'm going. To which Thomas says, No. I don't know the way. Can you tell me? And you can almost feel Jesus do this. Just, oh, Thomas. I am the way. Thomas, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Like, no, no. How can you miss this? Why, Why are you treating me like I'm a conduit? I am it. When you see me, you see the Father. To which Philip says in verse 9, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. 
Philip tries to fix it. Come on, Thomas. Jesus, show us the weight of our Father, and that'll be enough. And you feel Jesus go, are you serious? Have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Philip, you don't, when you say that, you're telling me you've missed me. When you tell me that you want me to show you how to get to the Father, you make me feel like you don't know me. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's what he says. Do you not believe I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does. His works. Believe me that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Why? Because I can do everything the Father does. There's nothing the Father does that I can't do. And the Father has shown me everything he does because he loves me and he approves of me. And because the Father has the power of life and resurrection, you know what? I do too. And I give it to whom I will. And the Father has dispensed the entire role of judge upon my shoulders so that I alone will be honored. That's who I am, Philip. How is this practical? Jesus is God. There, it's practical. When you approach him, when you approach the idea, when you pray to his name, when you fret about, does God hear me? And you read the words and you pray in the name of Christ. Jesus teaches us to pray in the name of the Father. All the apostles greet us in the name of the Father and the Son. (laughs) What does that tell you about their, what they've done? They, they greet us in the name of the Father and the Son. God revealed himself fully in Christ. And when, I want us to be very careful with the deductions and conclusions we make because of the gracious work of God to reveal himself through the Son in the form of a man. For us not to begin to do this, well, now that you're a man, you can't be God. <laughs> the deduction can, should really be, can the gift of God to us be this fine and wonderful and splendid? That he would humble himself so that he would show himself to me in a way that I can understand. Right? Rather than demoting Christ, we should be on our knees Worshiping God. Here's at least one very practical task. When you open up the Old Testament and you read it and you go, oh, this Old Testament God, I don't get that. Remind yourself, the Son does everything the Father does. So you, I, you don't understand what just happened if it, doesn't make, if it doesn't sound like God would do it. Get back in it. Like I said, the Bible's intended to be read backwards. Figure out Christ, study the New Testament, and then go back into the Old Testament, read it, and find Christ, because everything the Father does, the Son does, and nothing. They're unified. They're not different. Jesus was at Jericho when the walls fell. The Christ we know was the Christ that presided over Sodom. And the flood and 
the violent taking of the promised land, the very same God. I'm gonna close this with a prayer. This prayer is from a great missionary. His name was Patricius, and he brought the gospel to Ireland. He passed away on May 7, or March 17th, uh, 461. And he does not wear a green hat. But he does happen to have written about the finest prayer a man has ever written in the history of the church. And I want to pray it over you before the Lord. Bow your heads. We sang this prayer, by the way, already this morning, and you didn't know it. I rise today in the power and power's strength, invoking the Trinity believing in threeness, confessing the oneness of creation's creator. I rise today in the power of Christ's birth and baptism, in the power of his crucifixion and burial, in the power of his rising and ascending, in the power of his descending and judging. I rise today in the power of the love of the cherubim, in the obedience of the angels, in the service of the archangels, in the hope of rising to receive the reward in the prayers of the patriarchs and the predictions of the prophets and the preaching of the apostles and the faith of the confessors and the deeds of the righteous. I rise today in heaven's might in sun's brightness and moon's radiance and fire's glory and light, lightning's quickness and wind's swiftness and sea's depth and earth's stability and rock's fixity. I rise today with the power of God to pilot me, God's strength to sustain me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's eye to look ahead of me, God's ear to hear me, God's word to speak for me, God's hand to protect me, God's way before me, God's shield to defend me, God's hosts to deliver me from snares of devils, from evil temptations, from nature's failings, from all who wish to harm me far or near, alone or in a crowd. Around me I gather today all these powers against every cruel and merciless force to attack my body and soul against the charms of false prophets, against the sinister laws of paganism, against the false laws of heretics, against the deceptions of idolatry, against spells, witches, smiths, and druids, and against all unlawful knowledge that harms the body and soul. May Christ Protect me today against poison and burning and against drowning and wounding so that I might have abundant reward. Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ within me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ to the right of me. Christ to the left of me. Christ in my reclining. Christ in my sitting. Christ in my rising. Christ in the heart of all who think of me, Christ in the tongue of all who speak to me, Christ in the eye of all who see me, Christ in the ear of all who hear me. I rise today in power's strength, invoking the Trinity, believing in threeness, confessing oneness of creation's creator. For to the Lord belongs salvation, and to the Lord belongs salvation, and to Christ belongs salvation. 
May your salvation, Lord, be with us always. Amen.